You're listening to a sermon from Mission City Fellowship of San Antonio, Texas. Mission City Fellowship exists to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ who live all of life for the glory of God and proclaim Christ for the joy of all people. Today's sermon comes from John 12, verses 27 through 33. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death He was going to die. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. All right, let's pray. Lord, we come to you and we thank you. As we've rehearsed already this morning, oh Lord, you are marvelous. You are glorious. You are wonderful. And you are so good. And Lord, we thank you that all of that is declared in your saving work, in the work of your Son, in Christ Jesus, the gospel. Lord, thank you for already fixing our eyes upon those truths as we have sung. And Lord, we pray that now as we open your word, would it just be a declaration of your glory and your goodness in the midst of the cross. And Lord, we pray, would you grab hold of our hearts, Lord? Each of us are coming, bringing all sorts of stuff. Lord, would you grab us? Lift our eyes towards you, Lord, and captivate our hearts once again, Lord. Would we never grow tired of looking upon you? Lord, would we just join in with the host of heaven, saying, oh, how marvelous, how holy, how glorious you are. Lord, if we, because of this flesh, Lord, we can be tempted to grow bored in all things. Lord, we just pray, would you, by the power of your spirit, captivate our hearts, enthrall us once again, as we look upon you. We love you. Thank you for loving us. That's the only way we come to loving you. Do your good work. In Jesus' name we pray, and the church says, amen. Amen. A few years ago, an antique shop owner named Alex Archibald found that he could better his business by going to estate sales of abandoned, broken down, gloomy homes and look to find and buy things from inside those houses that may be of some value. Well, after an old piano teacher that he knew in his city passed away, her home was just sort of left gloomy and broken down, but it was left filled with stuff. Two-story home filled with stuff to the brim, packed full It looked like it had just been sort of an abandoned, gloomy house filled with a bunch of junk. Well, without really seeing everything that was inside, he he had 
come to know that there was a, a baby grand piano inside the house. And he thought, well, at least I'll for sure get that. I could definitely sell that. But it's this house filled with all sorts of boxes and things. And without really knowing what all was inside, he decided that he would buy everything inside the house without seeing it for $10,000. So he buys everything inside the house. And then he just says, well, then we'll look through it and hopefully we can find some things of value. Well, little did he know that it would be, in his words, the best investment he would ever make. They began to dig through junk boxes and clothes and trash that had all just been piled up for years and years inside this home, just sat there in this gloomy house, and what they found was a glorious treasure. What they ended up finding, bags full of rare coins, diamond rings, bags of gold, 100-ounce silver bars, which I looked up, and apparently, like somewhere around $3,000 each. Designer clothes that had just been piled up, wallets full of cash, all of it totaling nearly half a million dollars inside this gloomy, old, abandoned house. This man truly found a glorious treasure in a gloomy house. In a far greater way, the gospel declares there is glorious treasure to be found in the gloom of the cross. There is glorious treasure for us, a treasure trove, a storehouse of goods waiting for us in a gloomy cross. The cross and everything involved in the cross. So Christ going to the cross, on his way to the cross. Christ enduring the horror of being hung on a cross. At first glance, is sad and horrific. It's gloomy. We could really say, how could there be anything good within it? But the word of God, the good news of God, the gospel declares to us that the gloom of Christ enduring the cross holds within it a glorious treasure trove, a storehouse of the most valuable and delightful things. Amen? Oh my, that is what is being shown to us here in John chapter 12 and the verses Terry read to us, verses 27 through 33. The glorious treasure found in the gloom of the cross. If you remember the first 11 chapters of the gospel of John, have moved really quickly. It's been almost three years of Jesus' life. And the first half of the book of John has come to be known, the book of signs, highlighting all of Jesus' miracles. It's just over and over again, quickly moving through John chapter 1 all the way through John chapter 11. And then we get to John chapter 12, where we have been for the last several weeks, and it slows down. John, the writer of the Gospel of John, slows down. And he spends the second half of the gospel leading up to the cross and then the resurrection. He purposely uses the whole second half of this gospel for essentially a week and a little bit more of Jesus' life. The second half of the gospel of John has been come to known as the book of glory. So you have the book of signs, John 1 through 11, and then 12 on, the book of glory. And you could say, well... All, aren't they, all those things Jesus did leading up to this, those are glorious. Well, yes, there is glory there. But John is highlighting that the most 
glorious moment of Jesus' life here on earth would be the cross. So even the Gospel of John is, don't you love God's Word? It's just written. It's pieced together to help us see that. So, just a reminder there that the glory of God will shine brightest as Jesus endures the gloomy cross. So we'll have to just keep tucking that away in our hearts. Uh, So as we see in these verses, Jesus is on his way to the cross. Jesus' eyes are set on the cross. There is much glory to behold right here and right now in verses 27 through 33. It's a glorious treasure that we're just going to draw out and see that's there for us. And here's my hope, that it would lead to us responding with glad hearts. Once again, that it would lead to us being thankful that it would lead to us being thankful people, a thankful church and a glad church. Amen? That's our hope. So first, first, we see the glorious resolve of Jesus in verses 27 and the first part of verse 28. The glorious resolve of Jesus. And why resolve? Why that word resolve? It's the unwavering purposes of Jesus setting his heart this, this determination, this divine determination to set his heart towards the cross and to bring God glory in the midst of great difficulty. So that this glorious resolve of Jesus. We heard last Sunday in verse 23, which by the way, by the way, I was gone last Sunday. I was preaching in Midland at a, a, another Sovereign Grace Church, which they just give you greetings. They are just excited. Miranda was able to go with us. They were just so glad and anticipating what the Lord is doing in this church. So hopefully they'll be coming and visiting. Um, but it was a wonderful, sweet time there. That's where I grew up and came to Saving Faith uh, 25 years ago. It was so sweet to return and preach there. In light of that, this week I listened to the sermon Rob preached last Sunday. Can I tell you, he's one of my favorite preachers. If you weren't able to listen to that, it was such a good sermon. Go and listen to that. It points you to Jesus in wonderful ways. I was captivated and enthralled with Christ at the end. It was just wonderful. So go listen to that. Go listen to my favorite preacher uh, this, this week. Uh, wonderful sermon. So last Sunday, we heard in verse 23 that Jesus is very aware that the time has now come to do what he had come to do. Jesus is in Jerusalem and he is on his way to the cross. His heart and mind are set on what is before him. He's looking to the cross. And verse 27 begins with a startling statement from our Savior. Jesus says, now is my soul troubled. You might, that's startling, isn't it? We say, this is God, this is the God-man. He's so courageous. He's troubled now? I can't comprehend it. It does take us back. It is startling to us. Jesus is God the Son, fully God. Yet in this moment, we're reminded that part of our Savior's suffering was that he chose to take on the weakness of human flesh. It wasn't merely all just the cross. The holy God of the universe that we sang about, who nations bend to his will. Psalm 1, Psalm 2, he laughs at the nations as they deny him because he will accomplish his purposes still. 
that God became human flesh and dwelt among us. The king of the universe became a baby. The word of God took on flesh and grew. Amazing. Part of him entering into weakness and entering into suffering was simply taking on human flesh, the frailty to get tired, to have to sleep. All of that, to be hungry. And even whenever you know something really difficult is coming, to be troubled. To be troubled. His soul, he says, my, now my soul is troubled. He's going to repeat this several times coming up. It's this word that is like being stirred up. Have you ever felt that? You're, you know something is coming and you're feeling stirred up. You're feeling disturbed. You're feeling unsettled, uneasy. You're bothered by what's coming. Troubled. I think a lot of us know what trouble is and to be troubled, is, it feels like. And our Savior is here saying, now my soul is troubled. In his suffering, he also took on this human flesh to know what trouble is. This human flesh, this body that can become overwhelmed when we know that trouble and trials and hardship and difficulty is coming. We can be stirred up and disturbed within us. It's just the thought of a troublesome thing. Here's what I love. We know what that feels like. And you have a Savior who does too. Isn't there comfort found when the person who's leading you can relate to you? He's not just going to pull you along and say, Poof. you're troubled about that? Your heart's troubled about what's coming up? Come on, get over it. No, we have a Savior who says, I know what that feels like, little one. I know what that feels like, precious one. I too have been troubled. Now, here's what's amazing, though. As our Savior took on this weakness, He can sympathize with us, right? Hebrews 4, we have this great high priest that we sang about who can sympathize with us. He knows what it's like, but yet, but yet has not sinned. So somehow, in this mixture of what we read here, and I'm just a simple, humble, ordinary pastor, precious saints, somehow, as we read this, Jesus shows us that there is a way to endure, endure trouble, to be troubled in soul, and yet still trust God and not sin. Don't we often immediately equate being a troubled soul to sin? But here is Jesus, troubled in soul, yet trusting God, never sinning once. Ponder that. I think, a lot, I think the enemy of our souls likes to heap guilt as soon as we feel troubled. Right. But here Jesus shows us it is possible to have a troubled soul, knowing what trouble awaits, and yet trusting God and not sinning. You might say, well, how can Jesus later on, if you've read ahead in the Gospel of John, you may say, how can Jesus in John chapter 14, verse 1 say, let not your hearts be troubled? And then in verse 27 of chapter 14, how can he say to us, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid? How can he say that to us as his disciples while here in John chapter 12, he says, his soul is troubled. 
How can that be? Well, when we more fully realize what Jesus was going to endure on the cross, it helps us understand his response. The cross was a place of horrific physical pain, a torture device used to publicly kill someone slowly, gruesomely, and painfully. But it wasn't merely the physical pain that troubled him. The greater pain and trouble of the cross was the weight of the reality of the wrath of God the Father for the punishment of the sins of his people that would be fully poured out on Jesus, piercing him, nailing him, in a sense, to the cross where Paul would later say in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him, the Father made the Son, him to be sin who knew no sin. Saints, that is the greatest trouble anyone could ever know. Right? To, to be the holy, sinless one who forever walked in peace with the Father, who was in union, one and one, hand in hand with the Father, knowing sweet fellowship with the Father, always doing the Father's will perfectly and obediently. I can't imagine him. This perfect fellowship in those ways. The sweetness of that fellowship. And when Jesus goes to the cross, as he took on, as Paul says, he took on our sin's punishment, becoming sin for us. He takes on our sin's punishment on the cross. And for a time, that fellowship was broken. Severed. Severed as the holy God, the Father, looks upon His Son covered in sin. And because He's a just God, He pours out every drop of wrath and punishment upon Jesus. That is true horror and gloom of the cross, isn't it? That is the trouble Jesus sees ahead of Him. The one who knew no sin would take on sin and the sin's punishment that we deserve. And instead of being in sweet nearness of relationship with the Father as he had been, he would be treated as an enemy. Isn't that the amazing, glorious equation of the gospel? The Son, perfectly obedient, becomes an enemy on the cross so that those who have been sinfully, woefully disobedient can become friends of God. That's amazing. But Jesus knows the outcome of it all. He knows that outcome. This gloom will be turned into glory. This greatest trouble of the cross will be turned into a glorious treasure as salvation is purchased for His people on the cross. So you could say, you could say Jesus can tell His people not to be troubled because He knew that He would take on their greatest trouble at the cross. That's what he's saying. That's why he can tell you, don't be troubled. Because he knows he's taking on your greatest trouble of sin's punishment and the wrath of God upon himself at the cross. Praise God. Praise God. And so Jesus trembles. He trembles. His soul is troubled. But look at the Savior's glorious resolve, saints. His divine 
determination to glorify the Father in his plan of salvation for all his people. In the midst of him enduring the greatest trouble, he says, so he says, my soul is troubled. And then what does he say? And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? In a sense, he says, no. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Do you hear the turn? Oh my, I'm troubled. But this is why I'm here. This is why I have come. This is why I am here. Father, glorify your name. Be amazed and glad and then compelled by the resolve, by the unwavering determination, this divine determination. Or what I have been saying with Danielle at our houses, I've been walking through this, I just, the holy courage of your Savior. Look at the holy courage, the resolve of your Savior's heart to lean into his great trouble in order to glorify the Father. When we see that, when we see the trouble of the cross, the gloom of the cross, and then we see his holy courage, his resolve, his determination. Remember, think back, we talked about shepherds. And what did Jesus say? Bad shepherds, what do they do when trouble comes? They run off. They scatter because they don't care about the sheep. But what does a good shepherd do who loves his sheep? He lays his life down for them. Hear those echoes in Jesus' words. Hear his holy courage. See his divine determination, his resolve to save and his resolve to glorify the Father. When we see this in Scripture, when we see this, the gloom of the cross and yet his holy resolve, first I think we have to respond with gladness towards our Savior. Look at him and be amazed. Give thanks to God that our Savior was filled with the holy courage to endure the cross, to bring God glory by saving you. If you have trusted in Christ by his grace, he endured that to save you and to bring glory to God. There is no salvation for you had our Savior not resolved to glorify the Father. If he was courageless, oh man, puny, we're hopeless. There is no salvation for you or for me had our Savior not resolved with a holy courage to glorify the Father and give thanks for his unrelenting resolve to bring the Father glory through his sacrifice. Second point of application to that, may the Lord help us Follow his example. May the Lord help us follow his example. This same Savior is with you. He is with us through his spirit indwelling us. So as you endure the troubles of this world or as you look ahead as Jesus was doing and you are troubled by difficult circumstances that await you, remember your Savior's resolve to glorify the Father and ask the Lord to fill you with his strengthening grace with his spirit-empowered resolve, his divine determination to endure your suffering, saints, to endure your trouble in such a way that brings God glory. Saints, you know, I've wrestled with health stuff even this week. 
Even right now, my legs are cramping. I have no idea why. They just do it all the time. I don't know. And so there can be these thoughts of, oh, what's happening to me? Am I gonna, what's going to happen in a week from now or two, two months from now or a year from now? What's, gonna, what's happening to my health? And I know so many of you wrestle with health and trouble and, and pain and hurt in this world. And I think, I, I think as we look to Jesus, there is a sense Oh, Jesus, let us be courageous as we endure this trouble. Fill us with your life. Yes, we are little weak sheep, but I often forget. I think I forget so quickly. But you are with me and you have indwelt me. The power of God with me, helping me. And so, Jesus, as I see you resolve to glorify God in the midst of your trouble, Help me follow in your steps, oh Jesus. Help me to, with a holy courage to want to bring you glory in whatever difficulty awaits me. I, I don't think, there are moments that we may pray, Lord, save me from this hour. I think that's normal. I don't think that's wrong. But there is something special happening, and I would say divine. It's the Spirit-empowered work when you hear a Christian enduring trouble and they ask the Lord to help them glorify him in the midst of what they're going through. Somewhere you, you, you see it where they, they turn from just merely saying, save me from this. It's okay to pray that. But where there's this turn where they say, help me glorify you in this. Should you not take this away? Help me courageously bring you glory. Fill me with a holy, unrelenting resolve to testify of your goodness and to be happy in you in the gloom of this world. That is a holy moment. That is a spirit-empowered moment. That, that is a moment that the saints join in the prayer of their Savior. It's a moment where the, the saint joins in with the prayer of our Savior. Help me glorify you in this. It's a holy moment when saints join in the prayer of their Savior. Be glorified, O God, they say. You know the Savior's presence is close. Haven't we seen it for generations to generations? If you never have, read church history. Go open up Fox's Book of Martyrs. That was such an encouragement for Protestants. And how is it an encouragement? How is a book that highlights people dying an encouragement? Because it showed people dying for Jesus, suffering for Jesus. Real people struggling. But in the end, God the Father meeting them in their need and empowering them to glorify Him as they suffer. Time and time again, don't you see it? Page after page, tied to the stake, being burned for Jesus. Oh, you better believe, I'm sure there are moments these saints prayed the prayer, oh, save us from this hour. Save us from this hour. But as the Lord meets them in this moment, oh, Lord, be glorified in this hour. How many times have they declared the words that are written and recorded for us as they burn at the stake? I will not recant the word of God. 
I will not deny Jesus. He is my treasure. It wasn't just because they had bold personalities. It was the Spirit of God meeting them as the saints joined in the prayer of the Savior. Glorify yourself in my trouble. Always ready to meet us. Always ready to meet us in our trouble. Saints, can I tell you? Because I don't want this to be something where it's like holding up something. You need to obtain this. Now I think there's a compelling, come on, come on. But I have seen this so much in so many of your lives. I have seen this over and over again. I've seen so many of, for a church, we, you know, there's like, you think of like, we want to be strong and we want to be impressive and really, really just gifted church. And it's like the Lord shows, like, we have a lot of sick. We have a lot of people who are weak and hurting. But I have seen in the midst of that, so many of you ask the Lord to heal, ask the Lord to relieve you and others, but then that turn of, should you not, Lord, help us glorify you. I have heard the prayer of the Savior through the prayers of the saints in this church so many times, and it is beautiful, and it is an aroma, as we talked about a few weeks ago, that Christ is near. Christ is present, because that's not natural for us, is it? To want to pray, Lord, glorify yourself in the midst of this. That's not natural. That's a spirit-empowered work. All right, we got to keep moving here. As we join Jesus in his prayer for God's glory in the midst of trouble, there is much reassurance we find in the following verses. Second, we see the glorious reassurance of the Father. The glorious reassurance of the Father, beginning of verse 28 and verse 29. God the Father responds to the prayer of Jesus. Verse 28 Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. What reassurance of the Father to Jesus' prayer. He is glorified, or He has glorified it. In other words, Jesus' life already has been filled with the glory of the Father. The Father present and active with Him. You could say from the beginning of the incarnation, as we rehearsed earlier, earlier, it's God became human flesh, dwelt among us, and the angels declared on that night, glory be to God in the highest. God's glory already being declared from the incarnation and on to every moment of Jesus' teaching, every moment of obedience, every miraculous moment recorded for us in the Gospel of John. God has been glorified. Turning water into wine at a marriage feast in Cana, God was glorified. The healing of an official son that was so sick he was about to die, God was glorified. The healing of the man at the pool of Bethesda, God was glorified. The feeding, you just keep going, the feeding of the 5,000 in the wilderness, the walking on water in the midst of the storm in Capernaum, the healing of the man born blind, the raising of Lazarus from the dead, and everything in between. The Father had been glorified. And you could almost say, well, sir, those are all the triumphs of Jesus. He's winning in those moments. Of course the Father was glorified in all those things. But that's the reassurance of the Father. I have been glorified, and I will be glorified. As Jesus enters into his weakest moment, his moment of greatest trouble, as Jesus goes to the cross, 
the Father declares a wonderful, glorious reassurance. I will be glorified. He will be glorified, not just in the triumphs, but he will be glorified in the trouble. What wonderful reassurance that is. But notice Jesus points out, the Father's reassurance isn't for him. Did you catch that? The Father's reassurance isn't for him. Verse 29, the crowd that stood there and heard it said it had, been, it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Verse 30, Jesus answered, the voice, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. The reassurance of the Father wasn't for Jesus. He's perfectly trusting and entrusting himself to the Father. This reassurance or affirmation is for everyone else. I think for the people present with Jesus, obviously. But it's almost as if Jesus turns from the pages of Scripture and looks at us. This reassurance wasn't for me, saints, he says. It's for you. As the Father responds to the cry of his people, of his Son, he reassures us, I have glorified myself and I will glorify myself. Not just in triumphs, but in trouble. And in the greatest trouble, at the cross. That reassurance is for all of us. It's an affirmation that Jesus is who he says he is. He really is the Son. And so the Father responds to the Son. He has affection for the Son. But I think there's, I think there's more reassuring comfort that is intended for us to, to be found here. This glorious treasure of reassurance. As Jesus sets his heart to endure the difficulty of the cross... And to bring the Father glory in it. The Father meets him in his difficulty. And in this prayer request of Jesus, and he reassures us that the outworking of his purposes for his Son will in fact be to bring glory out of the gloomiest moment of Jesus' life. That's amazing. And here's what we can take that and find comfort in. As we become sons and daughters in the family of God, we have the same Father. As we become sons and daughters through faith in Christ, we have the same Father. We can be reassured of the heart of God the Father. He will likewise meet us in our gloomiest moments of life. It is the reassurance that if He can bring glory to Himself in our Savior's most difficult moment, then surely He can bring glory to Himself in our most difficult moments. In the triumphs, it's easy to say, oh, God was glorified. He was glorified on that night when I shared the gospel with my, my kid. Oh, man, he was glorified when I felt strong and I was out there serving the church. He was glorified. And then you're looking ahead. Diagnosis. He will be glorified. He's not just a God who hides behind the triumphs of life. There are people who live that way. I'll show up when, there's something, when the odds are for me, for sure. Have you, have you heard that? You're watching the game. Super Bowl was recently. I heard so many people. So funny, even, even in my own house. Well, who, who are you cheering for? Ah, whoever wins. <laughs> Isn't that what we do? That's what we tend to. Ah, whoever's going to win. I'm going to cheer for that person. We love the triumph. 
Jesus, Jesus the Father here in the midst of trouble, oh, I'm going to meet you there too. And I'm going to bring glory in the midst of that. How wonderful. We live in a gloomy world. We live in a gloomy world, but the Lord promises He will be glorified. This isn't the only reassurance for our hearts that's given in this passage. In the following verses, Jesus declares to us three things that would be accomplished and bring God glory through his enduring the cross. So last point, third, we hear Jesus declare the glorious reach of the cross. What would he accomplish through the cross? How would God bring himself glory through the cross? Well, Jesus declares it here in verses 31 through 33. As Jesus sets his sights on the cross and what would be accomplished through the cross, he says, verse 31, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Within those statements are three wonderfully glorious treasures of truth declared about what Jesus will accomplish at the cross or what the reach of the cross would be. First, through the cross, Jesus took our punishment for sin. When Jesus says, now is the judgment of this world, He's saying, at the cross, the righteous judgment of God began. Have you ever thought that? I, I used to always just think as judgment. When I heard judgment, I always thought end judgment. What awaits in the end when all people, all creation bows before God and judgment is had. I always thought about that. But here Jesus says, now is the judgment of this world. As he goes to the cross, now is the judgment of this world. Here is where judgment began, at the cross. Our sin must be punished, and the wages of sin is death. And for those in Christ, for those who believe in Christ, by faith in Christ, at the cross, the just judgment we deserve for our sins, past, present, and future, were placed on Jesus and paid in full. Judgment began at the cross. God's justice was satisfied. Our sins penalty paid for, and we are declared forgiven. And so God's righteous judgment began at the cross. So for the Christian, for our judgment for sin is done. Our judgment is done. Jesus took care of that at the cross. That's why we can confess our sin according to 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, what, what Pastor Rob reminded us of. That when we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. How is He just? Because sin has to be paid for. All sin must be paid for. He doesn't let sin get away. You can't get away with it. It has to be paid for. There's a punishment for every sin, past, present, and future. So how is he just to forgive you and to forgive me when we confess today? Because that justice, what we deserve, the judgment we deserve, has already been put on Jesus and fully paid for. And so then he can stand in front of us and say, forgiven, cleansed. How? Look at the cross. Paid for. Judgment began for the Christian at the cross. And so there is nothing left for us. That's what I love about the songs. There's nothing left for us. For those in Christ, 
empty cup poured out fully. Judgment paid. And so what awaits us at final judgment? Joy. What awaits us there? We don't have to fear. There's no wrath waiting for you there, precious saints. All paid for. And don't we have trouble remembering that? Oh, how I have to sing that to my heart. I have to say that over and over again because I forget it. That's why we do confession and grace every Sunday. Saints, that's why we sing songs that remind us of these truths. We're singing to God, praising Him for what we have received in Christ and for His glory and His goodness. But we're singing with one another. And it's as if there is grabbing hold of the next heart next to you and saying, look and know what He's done for you over and over again. Be reassured of His grace. Be reassured of what has happened, of the gospel of what's been poured out on Christ and what you have received through Him. Look and rejoice and be glad in Him. We're grabbing hold of each other's hearts and saying, look, look, in fellowship groups, that's what we're doing. We're saying, look, look at Him. Look what you've received in Christ over and over again. Walk in Him. Live life in Him. Be reassured in Him. We sing songs like this. Now, why this fear and unbelief? Did you listen to the words we were singing? Sometimes I like to just stop singing and listen for a moment. Just hear, hear your voices and read the words. Listen to these words. Stephanie, if you'll put them up. Now, why this fear and unbelief? Has not the Father put to grief his spotless Son for us? And will the righteous judge of men condemn me for that debt of sin? Now canceled at the cross? I wanted to yell out, no! whatever we were singing. Complete atonement you have made and by your death have fully paid the debt your people owed. Have fully paid, saints. Do you believe it? No wrath remains for us to face. We're sheltered by your saving grace and sprinkled with your blood. Be still, my soul, and know this peace. The merits of your great high priest have bought your liberty. Rely then on His precious blood. Don't fear your banishment from God since Jesus set you free. What glorious treasure there is for us through the gloom of Christ's cross. But I will say, the cross is a dividing line. We heard that last week. It is a dividing line. Those who come to Christ, those by faith in Christ for generations. Judgment paid for, paid in full. For those who reject Jesus, that judgment is being stored up to be poured on them personally. And that judgment is still to come. That is a future judgment. Jesus is going to talk about it next week. He came to be Savior now. He took on the judgment for His people. But when He returns... He's going to be judge. And they will be judged. For those in Christ, we have no fear of that day. Judgment will turn into joy. Second, through the cross, Jesus freed us from the power of the devil. 
Jesus says, and now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Where it looked like Jesus had lost. When you read scripture, I think, I don't want to steal, I think Rob has it coming up in a couple of weeks. I don't want to steal his thunder. But the devil's at work in Jesus' death as well. He thinks he's going to win. If I can kill Jesus off, I win. And so what does he do with Judas? We hear in chapter 13, he fills him with these desires to go and betray Jesus. So somehow there is the glory of God and this wicked foe who's at work trying to kill Jesus as well. Yet God is still working his perfect and marvelous plans and purposes. And so at the cross, at the cross where the enemy thought he had won, as Jesus is crucified, and it looked like Jesus lost. Everyone thought Jesus lost at that moment. How can he be king if he's dead? How can he save us if he's ruined? It looked like he lost, and it looked like the ruler of this world had won. At the cross, though, is where Jesus was overthrowing the enemy of our souls. Now is the time where this ruler will be cast out. Jesus was overthrowing the enemy of our souls and overpowering his grip on his people where we are no longer than slaves to Satan and sin, blinded and bound. We are free in Christ from the tyranny of the devil. That's what Jesus was doing at the cross. Freeing us from the power of the devil. We are not slaves to sin anymore. And so Paul says, Don't continue to live in it. Flee from it. Repent of it. Turn from it then. Don't live like a slave any longer. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 15 declare this. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is, the devil. And deliver all those who who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Praise God. So through the cross, Jesus freed us from the power of the devil. Lastly, third, through the cross, Jesus gathers us to God. He gathers us. Jesus says, verse 32, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Jesus will be lifted up on the cross as he dies a sacrificial death. He will be lifted up from his burial tomb in his victorious resurrection. He will be lifted up from the earth in his glorious ascension. And in doing this, he will gather those whom he died for and bring us near to God. The good shepherd, we've talked about the shepherd so often, I just don't want to move on from it. The good shepherd will gather his sheep to himself. When he says... I would draw all people to myself. People get tripped up about that. Universalists, they believe every single person is going to be saved. They think passages like this declare that. It's not true. It's not true. We know he's not saying all people in the whole world are going to come to him as his people and trust in him as their savior. Read the scripture. So many people reject him People kill him. I think he's simply doing this. I think he's drawing and gathering in two ways. All of his people and all kinds of people. All people then. 
all of his people and all kinds of people. All of his people. John 6, 37 speaks to this. He says this, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Isn't that what he's saying here? Who are the all people? All the people the Father gives to me, they will come to me. When I'm lifted up high, they will come to me. And I will never let them go. Second, all kinds of people. Revelation 14, 6. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead and an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And we see later on in Revelation, those people are gathered in and they're giving worship to Jesus, aren't they? They're worshiping him, every tribe, every language, every nation, all people worshiping him. So it's all of his people, and it's all kinds of people. Christ's gospel message of salvation is going out to all people, and he is gathering all of his lost sheep from every nation, tribe, language, and people to become worshipers. And here's what is so sweet and encouraging. Saints, if you are in this room and you have known Christ, you have come to Christ, you have been drawn to Christ, this is what he's doing. It's him drawing you. It's the Lord lifted high, lifted up, reaching out and gathering you to himself. All his grace all his grace. How how amazing that this shepherd, this God would gather me to him. That he would reach out and pursue me and draw me to him. It's what our Savior has been doing and it's what he is doing, drawing and gathering his people to himself. And he did it through the cross. The cross is a place of gloom. It's a place of horror, but Through Christ, the cross becomes glorious, doesn't it? It becomes wonderful and marvelous. Saints, Pastor Rob and I, as we close, that is is our desire for this body. We want to just keep lifting Jesus high, keep lifting him up, looking upon him. I think every Sunday, that's what I'm praying as I preach. I know we pray it together. Jesus, would you just be lifted up? If anybody sees anything, would they just see you? Would they know you? Would they look upon you? And would you draw them to yourself? And that's not just coming first to Christ. It's continuing to just be drawn to Christ and love him and follow him and know him. That is our prayer. And saints, as far as we, by the grace of God, may that be our legacy as a church. May that be our legacy. When people leave us, that they would say, oh, Jesus is lifted high and exalted and he's glorious among those people and when I leave there I just I just can't help but be enthralled with him more amazed at him in love with him may that be our legacy church people will have lots of things to say about you and lots of things to say about us as a church but may this be our one desire. They can say whatever they want, but do we lift high Christ? Are you aware of Christ when you're with us? Praise God. Amen. Saints, what glorious treasure we have received in the midst of a gloomy cross. Amen. May it lead us to thankful hearts. 
and being glad in Jesus and reassured that this same Father is at work in our lives, accomplishing His purposes and plans and glory.